0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is an amazing psalm. And absolutely, I, I hope I can finish tonight with, you know, with what we have to yeah. say on it. Because I don't think I have, I have about 10 pages of notes over here. And I got something over here with notes on it. I I went crazy. I just, it's just so wonderful. I'm going to begin by reading uh, what Rabbi Siegel, who, the book, you know, that I consult, with which I consult, uh, a new psalm. Okay, so at the beginning of his commentary on this psalm, he makes the following observation. C.S. Lewis, the author, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, etc. Yeah. C.S. Lewis called it the greatest poem in the Psalter, that with a P, Psalter, one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, this book he wrote in 1958 called Reflections on the Psalms, and he was a very religious man. So it's not like he's some secularist impressed by this. But I, I think he's right, and um, it's unbelievable. I'm going to begin by going through some of the mm, nuts and bolts of the psalm to show you elements of the poetry and how how brilliant it actually is. And I'm going to allude to things that I might repeat over the course of the class, you know, just because I they're so significant. Anyway, which Psalm are you looking at? Psalm 19. nineteen. That was I signed that last time. Psalm nineteen. All right. Now um I did this because when you read it in a uh Bible or in a prayer book, because it's in the it's in the Sidur. Okay. Uh now this yeah, it is. It's we we say it for Shabbat morning and morning on Chagim. Okay, we don't say it during the week as part of uh, Psuke de Zimra, the section of Psalms. All right, it has three elements to it. And I have divided it up this way. In Lev Shalem, when you'll look at it in the latest iteration, it has this kind of a format so you can appreciate the poetic structure that's here, which is different from these. But it is literally three different segments and as a result of that, there were some Bible scholars who said that um, there are actually three different authors and some redactor put them together. Well, I'm going to say not necessarily, because I think that there is a structure here and the language, there are repetitions in the language enough that would seem to indicate that it's the same hand. And it's a, in terms of a statement, the the it's it's brilliant poetry and a br- brilliant theology, and I would even say brilliant in an understanding of human nature. It is unbelievable. Okay, so let's dig in. Right. So, and by the way, the first part, as you will see, if you if you looked it over. It it deals it, it starts with the heavens, okay? It's the heavenly part. And the interesting thing about it is that it's the kind of a of a of a of a an expression that I'm I'm gonna tell you well, one time I had a very amazing moment and with the heavens, and I, I just must share it with you. We were on, the Beth Am, when I retired, gave Freddie and me a cruise to the Mexican Riviera. So we were on that cruise. And we happened, it turns out by coincidence, some friends of ours were on it as well. And so we hung out together. Turns out he was a member, he passed away recently, unfortunately. He was a member of the board of trustees of the Griffith Park Observatory. He was an amateur astronomer. There was a full lunar eclipse that took place during the cruise. And of course, he was so excited by this. So he organized this and he brought We all went out to the at the bow of the boat. There's a helipad, you know, helicopter landing pad. So it's flat. And it was it was around midnight. So there were not many people who came out for this. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the boat had over 3,000 passengers. And so maybe we had 40, 50 people, max, who came out. Anyway, we got there early and we just lay down and looked at the heavens. And we watched as this amazing eclipse was taking place. And while it was taking place, you know, we could see the stars because we were out in the middle of nowhere in the ocean, you know. Uh, and, uh, you, we, you, you could see the stars and there were, it turns out there was also a small meteor shower that was taking place that night. I mean, it was an amazing presentation. Anyhow, when the moon was completely covered, like turning on a switch, the entire Milky Way appeared. Hmm. Because before that, the light of the moon, even as it diminished, was enough to create enough glare that you couldn't see these things. But once the moon was covered for that, you know, however long it's covered, the whole Milky Way was there. It was unbelievable, you know? And you say, <laughs> The heavens speak of the glory of God and the products, the, the things that he created the, uh, the the rakia, uh speaks of them okay unbelievable unbelievable then the moon came in then the, you know we moved away and the earth moved away and the moon lit up and milky way went away but it was unbelievable all right so that's that kind of a moment you know anyway so let's look at this. So again, we have Lam Natsayach Mizmorla David. It begins with a reference to the conductor, a Psalm of David. Okay. Remember verses, uh, Psalms three through 41, all um, with the exception of two Psalms deal with Mizmorla David. A, yes, a song for David. All right. So this first line tells you right away. That this guy, this poet, whoever it is, is a, is a poet. Look at it carefully. I'm gonna, I mean, you, you don't get the sense in the English translation, right? But listen to the Hebrew. Let me show you something. Hashamayim mesaprim kavod el. The heavens talk of or speak of or tell of the glory of God. So you have heavens speaking God. Right? The second part, Umaseyadav Magid Rakia, and the uh, I'll read it in order they. Okay. It's the the products of God's hands, the creation, the uh, speaks tell, tells of that the Rakia. In other words, the firmament speaks of the product of God's hands. It's a chiasm, my old buddy, a chiasm. It's A, B, C. Heavens, talking, something with respect to the glory of God. Then you have something respecting the magnificent of God's creation, speaking, firmament, which is the same as Shamayim. A, B, C, C, B, A. So right away, in this very powerful statement of heavenly speech, there's a chiasm, right? A poetic structure, which is used, as you've heard me say many times, to highlight something that is very important. So this guy, this guy just kicked it off. I mean, he, you know, if if this is football, he kicked it not only, you know, into the end zone, he kicked it he basically kicked a field goal on the kickoff that landed ten ten rows up in the in wow. the in the stadium on the other side. I mean, it was an amazing. He just kicked it off huge. All right. So that's that first line. Now something else. Kuvod Ale. El. All right. The glory of Ale. Okay. God. But what is somebody who may know this? What is Ale. What, what is, there's, that term, that name for God has a background to it. Does anybody know? Almighty? Well, it means all, it doesn't mean that. Okay. It, it's used, yeah, I mean, you can, you, you can say, um, you know, power, perhaps. But that, that's how the rabbis, that's how it's traditionally interpreted. And I'm not going to, you know, in this context, it makes perfectly good sense. But there's something else for that. Okay, Rick and somebody else. Oh, Teibel. Okay, Rick, I,
1: Um Well, I know that El was one of the gods of the Canaanites. It was the king god, the head of the pantheon. So when we took them over, then El became our guy, El, right. El, El Yon. Elohim, all that.
0: Right. So it is, in a sense, the Bible ha- repurposed pagan concepts. We're going to deal with that more over the course of this course. Okay. And, and, you know, this class, when you see it, it happens a number of times. Um, and that,
2: that's very interesting. Okay. All right. Tybalt. Um, Rick gave it in more detail. I was just going to say it was one of the oldest names. Even yeah. if it doesn't appear chronologically first, I thought that scholars thought it was.
0: Right. Old. It's very old, yeah.
3: Bart, Bert? Uh, uh, you're muted. You're on mute, on mute, Uh, Why is it that you always use the term Bible as opposed to Torah? Because that just interchangeable. We're
0: not, we're not reading Torah. This is Psalms.
3: <laughs> I like your background, okay, But, but your, other, your other class you call Bible 101 and not
0: Torah 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, but th- that's also not going to, we're going to go beyond the Torah in that class too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So, but the thing is, the interesting thing, just by way of contrast, <clears throat> look, look at, look verses 8, 9, 10. Okay. What do you see there? What's God called there? Adonai. Adonai, 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 out of six times, right? So Adonai, what we call Adonai, is God's private name. This ale is a, not a private name, right? It's a, it's a, it's it's a universal name. It's a name that was well known beyond the bounds of Eretz Israel. And they knew that back then in the biblical times. So the point is, it begins with this universal statement. God here is depicted as the God of the universe, right? Whereas in those other verses below, the private name of God is used. And what does it say? What's the first word in verse 8? Bert? Torah. 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 Right. Torah relates to whom?
3: Jews,
0: Israelites. Israel. I'm Yisrael. So you can see here the choice of the name of God in each of these instances is is making a statement. You have a universal God and you have a very person, the God of the Jewish people, one right after the other. Okay, and indeed that's the case because this whole first part deals with the entire world. It is universal. And the second part is, Teibel mentioning Torah, right, is the focus in the second part is the Jewish people. All right. So the selection here and the the fact that it begins with that and moves to this. And in the end, it's going to end up, look at verse 15, right? Adonai Tzoreba Goali. Now, this is an individual person talking. Right? But again, this is a, an Israelite speaking, and here it's Adonai. So it begins with ale and it ends in Adonai, and there's a big ale in between. I mean there's this is something that somebody gave a lot of thought to. This is not just random selection. And I think that the person who did the first one had the did the last one as well. Okay, um I got Bert. And AJ?
3: The first one is more the physical world, is it not? And the second one, more in the spiritual world. The second part that you were talking about.
0: Yeah, in a sense, that's true. Yeah. I would say it's, it's yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, we'll see, it's the spiritual plus. Because it deals also with human beings. But it, it, there is something of that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, AJ. Um just to reinforce
4: your comments about the first line and the name the use of the name Ael, um Ael was not just the king of a pantheon of gods, he was the the creator god, uh, the Ugaritic um uh, uh creator yep. of heaven and earth. Right. And and father of Baal. And and husband of Asherah. Yes. Yeah, among other things. <laughs> among other things. Yeah, guy was busy. Yes. Um, but it's interesting. that The it gets the the psalm gets more and more personal. It starts out with that very yes. abstract creation, goes inward to the relationship with the people, Adonai, <clears throat> and, and the people and Torah, and then ultimately it in uh climaxes with with a very personal.
0: Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's the brilliance of it. Part of the brilliance of it. Exactly. And there's some other comments we can make about that as well, which we will. Mike.
5: While the beginning of the psalm speaks and talks in terms of speaking, I it seems to me pretty clear that the, the heavens, meaning the heavenly bodies certainly are not speaking. Aha. So what I think is it is saying is it's encapsulating what you described from your cruise, that as people see the, the magnificence of the sky, it tells them something. Yes. It tells them that there has to be a God to have created it.
0: Yes, yes. But you're going to see in a minute, it's more it gets more complicated, which is what I love about it. <laughs> I love about this.
6: You'll see. All right? Leon. It, it reminds me a little bit of the music of the spheres, actually. Yes. It was something that the Greeks said about, uh, not quite as ancient, but probably as ancient in terms of concept. Yes. Yes. Right. We would speak
0: in terms of language. They would speak in terms of music, you know. <laughs> anyway, right. Exactly. Good. Very good. Yeah, but hold on. The fun is now, but just about to start. All right, next line. Yom le yabia Omer. Okay, day to day. I mean, in other words, all the time. but it's like it's like the day. Well, let me finish it up. Day to day gushes forth, expresses Omer spoken words. That's from the verb amar. Okay, you can see it all of Speak right. So the it's that. Time time is gushing forth words, not just the heavenly host. Time is. That's amazing. It's it's, it's this totally abstract thing is talking, right? That's what it says each day. Ah, parallel. In the Sidur, Shabbat says Mismor Shir Liomha Shabbat Toblohodot Ladunai. Right? No, it doesn't say that. It Mizmor Shir Le'Oma Shabbat, right? The the Psalm for 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 Sabbath that we say on Shabbat, right? And we okay. So that Psalm begins. It is good to give praise to God. Who's talking there? The Shabbos is talking. So in that Psalm as well, this notion of time talking exists. This is. What, to me, this is amazingly creative. Unbelievable. Right? All right. But I, this term yabia it really means gushing forth. It's not just whispering. It's gushing. Right? A lot of language here. And then Lila, la, Lila, again, time, night to night, Yechaba Da'at declares Da'at knowledge. Right. But this is the details, the knowledge of God, knowledge of God. OK, so time is expressing these things. All right. But then so, you, you know, so what kind of talk is this, Mike? Well, perhaps it's not talking about time, but
5: rather talking about sunrise and sunset. It is. But that's time. Ta- yeah, but
0: it doesn't say that. That's the point.
5: Well, when it says Day, when it, when it says uh, day to day and night to night, and we've just been talking about heavenly bodies and the stars, the I'm thinking it's talking about the sun and that viewing the sun.
0: ah But that hasn't come up yet. The sun doesn't come until later, right? And the, the only thing we've seen right now is heaven, right? Shamayim and Rakiah. And now we got time. In fact, I would say, if you think about creation... That's the order, right? The order begins with the, the firmament is the first, one of the first things to be created, the second thing created. And after that, God makes day. He divides thing, the time up. Okay. Yes, there is like light light, day and night and the, 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 the heavenly bodies, but that doesn't, that's not expressed explicitly. I'm not, I mean, you could, one could make the point, but the fact that he's talking about the, the 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 time factors here right god separates day from light from day that's part of the creation so in a sense he's following brashheet here he's following brashheet okay aj is there an intimation
4: of uh astrology in that <clears throat> of teaching or of of um the heavens revealing knowledge
0: um, it could be, I'm not, I don't know. It, it's an interesting point. I mean, they did ex, they, there was some of that in ancient times. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, 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 Job, God, when God speaks to Job, he refers to various, um, what you call it, it's in the sky, you know, struck the, the, the different stars, the constellations and planets. Okay. So in a sense, it, it could be. But, at the same time, we don't know right, and here we're really at this point though we're talking about things that relate to the divine, okay when a, so I would say here knowledge and awareness of god that that these heavenly these these heavenly entities have that we do not have, okay, a higher understanding of what God is, shall we say? So, but yeah, there was it, it's possible that certain astrological notions were floating around, yes, I would
2: say so, Teibel. um just a short one. we haven't gotten rid of it. I've heard rabbis say that when we wish each other tov, which gets used all the time, it's actually an allusion to an old astrological belief mm.
0: yes, it's well, actually, there's a statement, a mazali israel israel actually we we really don't have. An astro- astrological thing because we got God, <laughs> so you can take that both ways. <laughs> anyway, yeah, but they—they they, 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 look. The fact is, if you read medieval philosophy, some of which I have read, there's only one philosopher who re- who explicitly says that astrology is a bunch of bunk. Guess who? Which monadis? i or your monadies, whatever you want. Okay? He's our monadies. <laughs> yes, my monadies is the only one who disavows it totally. Absolutely. Right? So there you go. Okay. Now, but look at verse 4. In omer aim devarim. Belim nishma kolam. There is no speech. There are no words. Because... There is no sound. You cannot hear anything. So, from a certain perspective, it's silence. It's silence. So he's, it's, you see, it's amazing because he builds up this whole thing. These guys are talking. He uses, oh, he writes speech, right, and and declaring and 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 gushing forth and you know, ta- saying and 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 present. You know, it's all verbal stuff. And suddenly, in verse four, he says. But really, it's not because you, there's nothing you you don't hear anything right what you said before when when you know you're looking at the heavens i guess, Mike, I guess you said it, yeah, you know you don't hear anything, and that's exactly right, so what are we talking about here silent speech, silent speech, okay,
6: um Leon and then Suzanne well i had a problem with this uh, sentence because i wanted to read it enomer in the makulam there is no utterance there is no words without it being heard it's interesting because
0: the 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 translators didn't did you that
6: i know my translator didn't do that either but yet but uh, it, it just makes sense that way uh, uh, well And it reminds me of uh uh, so who's not hearing it? It doesn't say it means without God hearing it.
0: Huh? Without God hearing it. It doesn't say that though. I mean it I I think the reason why they interpreted it is because there's an absence of hearing their voices is um is, is because it's not clear that God is the one who's listening. Okay, because it sounds as if they're speaking to one another.
6: So, I mm-hmm.
4: mean,
6: I, I'm not rejecting what you're saying. It, it, it reminded me to me to a, uh, to the proof of the existence of God. Okay, is there a tree in the forest that falls without, uh, does it make a sound if nobody hears it? Yeah. Okay, and the proof of the existence of God is God hears it. Yeah. Well, okay. But that's not a,
0: all right. I mean, I, I would, I would, if, if, if what you're saying is, if that's the real clear intent here, honestly, I would have expected a different kind of expression. Okay. Um yeah. And, and I, I'm thinking in another term, I see your hand, Suzanne, just a second. I'm thinking something else. What came to my mind was 1 Kings 19.12, which is Elijah when he's on Mount Sinai, and he has this theophany of God, and God is not in the wind, and God's not in the earthquake, and God's not in the lightning, but God is in a cold mamadaka. Now, whatever that means, it could be the sound of silence, you know, to pick up on, what's it? Uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, right, yes, Simon and Garfunkel. But the point is, it's, it it is some other sound or non-sound that is how you, God, God, you know, God operates. So I'm thinking here that this may be a reference to this heavenly speech, which it it is something that, in other words, it's an intentional oxymoron, right? A a self-contradictory understanding, concept. Because the psalmist is basically telling us, we don't get this. We, 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 we're not capable of entering into that heavenly realm. Now, it doesn't mean our souls don't go up to heaven. That's a whole different thing, right? That's a whole different thing. But it's saying is that we as human beings who in, in, in our in our existence in the physical universe, which is what this is talking about, we can't hear this. We can't hear it. So, I mean, that's my bias here. But it was interesting that both JT, JPS and, and uh, Siegel understand this, that, 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 that because you, it's, it, whatever it is, is unheard. Okay. And believe, remember this is biblical Hebrew. They are using words here in ways that are not identical to the way we use it. You'll see that as we get. Omer, the word Omer, right?
6: With an olive, right? By the way, my translator completely agrees with you. Huh? My translator completely agrees with you. Okay. All right.
0: No. So, the uh, fine. Thank you very much. No, what I'm saying is the meanings here. Are, are you've got to you can't always impose upon them the clarity that we do okay and we're going to see that coming up in some other terms as well okay all right suzanne
2: um and it seems to me that this voice is inside the minds of man, and our minds are a creation of God too, our minds are really our closest companions uh, as close as we are to other human beings uh perhaps um and in thinking of it that way, um, it it makes uh, the third stanza uh, more uh, meaningful. Um, Steinsaltz, which is the version I'm looking at, um, points out that um, the day gives utterance. It's you know everything's busy and happening in the daytime, and the night is quiet. That's when understanding comes, when you have a chance to reflect, and you know hear the the voices and the minds are very important. Mm-hmm um yeah it it well you know what
0: there there's something to what you're saying um it's gonna express itself a little bit later on, so I wanna come back
4: to yeah. that okay All
0: right. <clears throat> yeah, in fact, at the very end, I'll jump ahead, verse twelve a uh, fifteen the last verse imrefi. <speaking> right, may the words of my mouth, and there's that, the same thing, omir, imre, in other words, a noun meaning speech, right, from amar, right, but here we don't use that word, right, it's not commonly used, right, we use other words, but This term, it, it, it's a legitimate Hebrew word. So I'm, all I'm suggesting is it's an, but, but in terms of what you're, what you said, Suzanne, hegyon libi means the meditations of our heart. And that's silent. Mm -hmm. So we ourselves, although not in the same way, express ourselves both verbally, heard words, amar, and silently, and we have it, we have we have that that notion. I mean, it's in our heads, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody can hear that, and our ears can't hear it either. So you know, in a sense, there's a kind of connectedness between. Well, there is, in fact, that's part of what what I see operating here. We talk. Remember, we talked about a frame, right? Where the be- something in the beginning and the end sort of brings it together, even though the first verse doesn't use that, the first verses don't, but it pops up in verse 3, right? And is mentioned again in verse 4, and here it's again in verse 15. So it sort of bookends. Yeah. And the, the point is, the difference being that the Omer that is mentioned up top is more like the Hegion lev mentioned at the bottom, meaning the unheard words in our hearts, our minds. Right, heart, by them, is the same as our mind. Okay, yeah, so I mean, but you know what? I can say to everything we've said, you're all right. (laughs) It's all (laughs) of them, right? And the reader of the poem is supposed to bring in that which they find meaningful. So, all right. So forget about what I said. No, <laughs> I'm just trying to, to be more precise in what I think the, the wording says, but the meanings, you know, be gesund, as they say. All right, Barbara. There it goes. Uh,
7: when I look at the first few lines, it almost sounds like we're talking about the time of creation. And then man comes into it. What's starting about the fifth line or so,
0: or, well, or no, sixth. That's the sun. What's the sun? The groom? Yes. sun. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Look at the end of the, <clears throat> uh, the end of verse five. La <clears> shemesh, la shemesh. Some ohel by him. kechatan yo The sun. God made a tent or up there with. Well, him. the sun, right?
7: But I'm, I'm just saying that the beginning. Of this prayer sounds like the beginning of
0: time before right. there is a person. You are right in the sense that the first part is heavenly, you know, nothing to yes. do down here. What you're heading at, which, what you're pointing to, is a transition that takes yes. place at the lot la- in these final verses, in the last verses that we're going to read in just a minute. It begins in verse 5,
3: right? Right.
0: So I said, wait, somebody else have a hand? Oh, yeah,
3: Bert. Uh, I'm confused about the translation in verse 3. Because this, if I'm reading it properly, it says, there's no utterance, there are no words whose sound goes unheard, meaning they are being heard, if that's the proper translation. There's no sound. There's, there are no utterance whose sound goes unheard. It's not saying there's no utterance. There are no words, and their sound goes unheard. Well, but I mean, does it mean? I, I guess my question is: Are the words heard or not? That that's what's unclear yeah. to me, at least from the English.
0: Yeah, I know. Let me let me see what I'm looking here. And just to complicate the situation, I, mean, I, why I see what you're saying. Without their sound being heard. Ah, ah. I'm not
3: sure what. It, I'll just look at the English. I don't know the Hebrew.
0: No, no. Yes. I see what they're saying. In
3: other words, they they must be. They must have been heard. However, the Jonathan Sachs translation in the Sacks Siddur says there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Yes. That's what we were talking about before. So I'm not. Yeah, I, that, you know that's
7: what? the same as you mentioned before. That if you in a forest and a tree falls, do you hear it? Is, is it heard anywhere? Yeah. If there's no nobody to hear it, and that goes along with the way I feel that these first parts are, there is no man around to
0: hear it. Yeah, well, that good. I, I you know what? I, I'm glad you pointed that out, Bert, because I was you know as I say I'm I'm influenced by. The maybe erroneously by that other notion from the book of Kings, because I, I honestly believe that you know, these ancients understood that in dealing with the the heavenly things and you know, things related to, to God and heaven are things that are ultimately beyond our comprehension. Please help me.
3: And, or to Barbara's point, if there are no humans to hear it.
0: Yeah, it could be, but then, then who's going to, some, I mean, somebody's got to hear it, but it doesn't, that's the point though. It doesn't say
3: who that's going to be. And maybe that's the point or that it doesn't matter if they're heard or not that God exists. But the reality is,
0: yeah, we can't hear it as far as we're concerned. It's silence. We can't hear it. So, but maybe you're right, Some somebody's must be hearing, but it ain't us.
3: Which gets to the question, if there were no human beings, would there be God?
0: Say again? Oh, yeah, well, now you're, I don't know that that's what they're thinking about.
6: That's a t- different question. Yes. Leon. I just got to, uh, I, I just got to read to you the, what Robert Alters says on this. He's a translator, a very good one. Uh, And he says, this seems a contradiction. He agrees with you, by the way, that there are no words and nobody hears them. Uh, This seeming contradiction of verses 3 and 4 is, of course, only the underlining moving paradox. The heavens speak, but it's a wordless language. What the great 20th century poet Chaim Nachman Bialik in a poem akin to this would call the language of images. Thus the psalmist can go from this affirmation of speechlessness and silence To the declaration and the next words of speech going out to the ends of the world. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what it says now. Okay. Because it's going back to that in some way. This is, you know, we look at now, let's look at verse five. Behold, Haaretz Yatza. Now, there it says Kavam. All right. Kav means a line it can mean um what was the other word oh my i forgot some precision? some precision huh precision yes something like that or a measurement but that doesn't make sense okay because that doesn't fit the theme here at all plus in in the you know the whole art's so the the translators in the two sources i use and this is based on the Septuagint and some Aramaic, ancient Aramaic translations. It's, the, it's kolam, their voice. <laughs> because look at the second part of the verse. And t- to the ends of the, of the world, there were, milahem, their words were extended. So it's clear that, that the voice, using kol, their voice, the same way that it's used In verse, in other words, it's used in verse four, and it's repeated again in verse five. And the word for words at the end implies that it's all part of something that is spoken, if not always heard. So, kavam, the lamad fell out. I think the lamad fell out, (laughs) or the somebody came along the Masoretes, the people who were the final guys to work over the text in the Middle Ages, they said, well, it couldn't be voice because we just said, because no voice is heard. So therefore, it couldn't be voice. So I don't understand, but I think the the Septuagint, they're not always right. But I think on this one, they may have gotten it right, that it should be read with a Lamed Kuf Vav Lamed mem. The same way the last word in line 4, verse 4 is. And yes, now talking about transitions, right? We're moving in a transition now from heaven to earth. Because not only is this phenomenon expressed in heaven, but now you see it's down here. Haaretz, veil that's here. It's That's not up there. So it's here but we don't hear it and that's the reason why i i, I tend to think it's an uh, this is unheard speech it's something that we cannot grasp with our ears maybe we can grasp it with our spiritual side that's something else right and maybe the meditations in my heart with which this ends with which in verse 15 Perhaps that meditation in our heart will allow us to grasp the spiritual words that are floating around unheard in our ears down here on earth. But we are definitely moving now into an earthly realm, and that's going to continue from this point on. Okay?
3: All right, Bert. The Sachs translation, interestingly, of that line is, yet their music carries throughout the earth. I think they're taking a lot of liberty.
0: (laughs) Yes, no, that's wrong. Yes,
3: poetry. But I mean, it it gives it a a sense that
0: it's it's beyond words. If it's the measures of music. Yeah. Yes. Mm, Music is not mentioned here at all. That's being influenced by the concept that Leon mentioned before, the music, you know, the music of the heavens, heavenly music.
3: Right. Yes. Eh. I like that translation, but it's probably wrong.
0: (laughs) It's very (laughs) romantic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, and that's the end of that segment. Now, here's something to consider. Listen to this, guys. All right. I found another chiasm between verses 4 and 5, because you have Omer and Devarim, right? In particular, you have Devarim, which means words. Then you have voice. That's in verse 4. In verse 5, you have voice, and then you have words. So that's an A-B-B-A chiasm. And that would lead me to conclude that it is kolam, right? And davar, davar means a, a word, okay? So Rabbi. this is yet another, yeah, davar, aseret ha-davarim, the ten words. That's the that's the biblical term for the Ten Commandments, okay?
5: Rabbi.
0: wait Wait, wait, yeah, okay, just no. a second, My, uh, Mike Har Mike Harris.
5: Yeah, just just responding to the, I think Bert was saying something about measure, measures of music. Yeah. The concept of measures of music didn't even come into being until the Renaissance period. So I'm sure that they weren't thinking about that at the time. Of this.
0: <laughs> ah, thank you, Mike. Ah, I knew having a music expert in our midst would come in handy someday. There you go. Sorry, Bert. Okay. All
3: right. <laughs> Rick. It's Jonathan yeah. Sachs, not me. Okay.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I'm taking birthside and, uh, um, this, um, the art scroll I have here, uh, the footnote on Kavam is their precision, li- literally a line. Like you were saying, Kav is a line. So you can have lines of music and they had music. The, the Masoretes had music. They, they, they had trope. They had, they, you, the music goes up, the music goes down. And, um, I, I could see that, um, you could think that the lines are, are, um, are, uh, uh the, the precision of the notes, the musical notes.
0: Yeah, but just I, will, to say. I will comment to you that generally speaking, hi, Marlissa, hi, Mar-lis, um, the, the, um, they don't read the Septuagint.
1: They who? The art scroll. Art scroll. Yeah. Okay.
0: They they're not aware of the fact that you have ancient versions that translated this in that way. Mm-hmm.
5: Right?
0: Now it could be okay. yes, it could be that the masoretes did that with that in mind, but again the masoretes predated the concept of music. Precision is something else. It they uh, the masoretes could have thought that that makes more sense, but then they didn't notice the chiasm and I would argue that the chiasm here would indicate that that the kolam their 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 uh their voice or their sound of verse four is paralleled by kolam at the beginning in the first half of verse five, the same way that devarim is paralleled in Mile milim milehab words words. Voice voice. So I would argue that the chiasm would argue in favor. But you know what? Okay. Well
1: yeah, but it's I'm I'm agreeing with you that way. It's it's lines of verse. The 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 um yes, oh, the but, devarim the devarim go with the milehem and the kolam goes with the kavam. It's it's a sound, it's no kav, it, but precision
0: I mean, precision uh uh-uh. uh. No. Okay. It means their precision went out. The whole art,
5: yeah.
0: precision. Nobody's talking about precision. There, nobody's. They, there's no um, adjectival or, or, or you know, a, a description here. It's voices, words.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So I think, uh, with all due respect, sometimes art scroll has got some good stuff. Sometimes that's
1: okay.
6: It's all right. All right, Leon. Thank you. Um, uh I think I know where the are forgot it because Rashi says it. "וְקֹל הָאָרֶץ יַצְעַקָה וָאִם קַבַּשְׁמַיִם שֶׁהֵם נִמְתַּחִים עַל פְּנֵי כֹּל הָאָרֶץ." Oh. And uh you know, and uh, Well, that's and the line of the, heb- of, of the of the of yeah, the Yeah, it right. makes sense. It doesn't. I agree. And they said their words are at the end of the world. Yeah. That's the way they extend to the end of the world. I
0: know, I understand that, but, but the, the, the kav of the heavens, of the, of the firmament has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. I agree. Yeah. That's, I yeah. I, that's a midrashic push. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, it is. It
0: means, wait a minute. It means though, hold on, that that, that, that way of writing it, was in existence. Oh no, that's right. It's, it's after the Masoretes. Yeah. Rashi's 1100, 1050. By that time, certain versions of the Masoretic texts were floating around. So yes. they, they could have seen it there. Yeah. It's possible. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Good. Now, so there should be a period. At the end of the words, milehem, their words in verse five, the last clause, la sam ohel bahem, that God created some kind of a tent, a canopy, whatever, for them. In them, sorry. God created a, God placed a tent for the sun in the midst of all of them. Them meaning the heavenly host or under the heavens, okay, but by him means in their midst, so in the midst of the heavens, all right, cause the sun is where do, the sun operates in the Shamayim. the sun is hooked up uh, again, I want to remind mm-hmm. you, I'm not sure how the medievals looked at this, but in biblical times, the notions were remember the sun comes up in the morning it goes across at night and it goes down afterwards and they believe that the sun was actually moving within the firmament that was part of the biblical concept conception of this it was a, why is it called a firmament because it's firm it holds back remember it holds back the water up there okay uh the firmament is supposed to open on Thursday here all right. percent <laughs> chance it's going to open on Thursday and then next and then sometime next week it's going to four days it's going to open. Maybe we're going to get a bull. <laughs> no. Anyhow. But okay, so um so that pause is part of verse 6 because the sun continues to be described in verse 6 and he the sun is like a groom who came out of his chupa, his right, his bridal uh tent, right? His canopy. And that's the ohel. So that is actually a Lashemesh some ohel vahem kechatan mi chupato right? God created a hent a a a a tent for the sun in their midst. And he is like a chatan who comes out of his chupa, his marriage tent. Okay? Says chupa. So what happened? Well, we did not define the numbering of the sentences. The Christians did. Not us. And when these books were beginning to be printed, numerous printings, especially in Italy, And some later on, no, but Italy is where that really began. So in Italy, you had churchmen for a while who were studying Hebrew.
4: God, please serve me.
0: Huh? Oh, all right. Anyhow, so the, the, you, you had, uh, books were being, Hebrew books were being printed already by Christians. Jews turned to them to help print their Hebrew books. So what they did is, especially biblical works, they used the metal, uh, um, you know, printing devices that they had, all right? And so when it came to making, to, to laying out the sentence, they used the tools that they had already in front of them. And the Bible, there are numerous times, if you look, you will see, in biblical text where a chapter begins in what is really from the perspective of of the masoretic text not forget about the number associated with it but there are chapters that that begin halfway through what is for our text a a sentence because the christians had it that way in their printing presses it's as simple as that so this is an example of because of course it's very there's no question that that first clause is part of verse six. There's no question, all right, so the sun is now coming out, all right, and he yasis kegibor larutz orth, and he rejoices like a hero, a strong man, who can run great distances, okay? And we're going to deal with that in just a second. So why is the sun here? Why Dapka here out of the blue? Why is, why did the poet select the sun to be sort of the representative of the heavenly host? We don't see references to the moon and stars here and planets, right? It's the heavens, right? Suddenly here comes the sun. That's S-U-N, not S-O-N. Barbara?
7: It doesn't seem that sun er, that sudden because we already had day by day and night by night. Okay. So there has to be a sun from that
0: standpoint. But we don't have moon and stars, though, either. I mean, if we're paralleling, <laughs> yeah, we'd say the sun is this and, this and the moon is at night providing light. I'm that's, just... That's, that's true. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to understand
7: the grammar of this sentence. He placed yes. in them the bahem, which is at the end of the sentence. Why is that bahem
0: placed after the shemesh, which is in the line above? No, no, no this no bahem la shemesh some ohol bahem after the tent. Wait a minute. The, the bahem refers to where it was placed. Doesn't it place? Doesn't? Isn't that the in them? Yes, in them probably meaning the heavens. Okay. Ah, okay. Shomayim...
7: But why, is it, but why is it after the Shemesh, the sun? I don't quite, that's not, I, for the sun because the sun is a chattan; he's a groom. But why isn't it earlier? The, the Bahem. Why is it at
0: the end? It's like that? okay. It is. Yeah, sure. For he, he the sun, God placed a tent in them. Now I would assume Bahem refers to Shemayim, because Shemayim is the plural that you have here. So it's referring to the heavens. So God, so the sun has a heavenly tent, and he comes out in the morning. Okay, all right, that's what it's saying. Okay, that's the chattata. But my question is, why the sun? Okay, so, first Tybalt, then
2: Mike Harris. Well, the two things isn't to, for humans. Isn't the sun the most observable thing? And wasn't it also created earlier, and then the moon? Differentiate it. I know there's the midrash that the moon complained, and that's why it's the lesser one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No,
0: that's a good question. Uh, I think you're moving in a in a in a a correct way. Um, Sun and the moon were created all together. All right, they're all the sun, the moon, the stars were all created the same day, and we don't know. You know, it says sun, moon, stars, but yeah so in that order but the main thing you said you said a moment before this was this is what we see <clears throat> in other words i think the reason why the sun was chosen is because like what it's like the voice the the the, the silent voice or whatever this that thing is that is on the earth right the line before it talked about That the, the sound, the sound of silence is floating around on the earth, you know, until far all over the place. So it's earth. So this is part of the process of transitioning to the earth, which will be the theme of parts two and part three. So this is a transitional statement here. Okay. And that's why the sun was chosen. Some scholars have suggested that, well, the sun was the primary god, right? You think about it. For the Greeks, you know, the sun, yes. In fact, in the Jewish tradition, both the sun and the moon have their roles to play. And we follow both a lunar calendar, which is the moon, and a solar calendar, which is the sun. So in our world, and our job is to somehow try to make them cohere one with the other, right? Okay. But the fact is, yeah. But and so is it repurposing a pagan thing, because yeah, there's no question that in antiquity, I mean, in the in the biblical times, the sun was a great god, no question. I just want to remind you, this is an aside. In Genesis chapter one when the when these things are being created, does it say Shemesh? No, it says the large light. And does it say Arach or Levana? No, it's the small light. They are unnamed entities, right? They are bodies of light that God created. This is this you can say is a kind of subtle polemic saying we don't want to even mention those names here because we're not talking, there's nothing pagan about and In fact, this whole statement that we're making about God in chapter one is basically anti-pagan because we're saying God did everything himself. Nature is all total. The totality of nature is the creation of God. And that's it. So Shemesh, which is Shamash, you ain't here. Yareach, Labana You ain't here either. You're just the big one and the small one, and that's it. No names. Okay. So the point is, but it could be that, yes, what you said, Tybalt, is that this is the dominant heavenly entity that, in fact, governs our lives. Yes, the moon runs the tides, Right. And as the rabbis say, the moon was very important because it shines at night when it's dark, whereas the sun shines during the day when it's light. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes they didn't get it quite right. Anyhow, (laughs) so the point is, I think it's exactly that. This is from our perspective. And we're shifting over to the human perspective in just a minute. So this is an important transition, okay? And so this is the son who goes these great distances just as the words went the great distance. And I want to remind you that verb, uviketse tevel, the ends of the world in verse five, the third word from the end. That word katse is found in verse seven, about what the sun is talking about miktze it's mentioned twice miktze and then totam in verse 7 so the verb is that not a verb that word is continued from verse 5 into 7 linking the sun with and its movements in the in the world to the sounds that are now bouncing around here in silence in this world. So it's all linked together, and it's part of this transition, looking at these things from a human perspective, that's for sure. The one thing we can say about the sun is, it is critical for our lives, right? Because the sun, we know, I mean, the sun governs the heat, which it says, right? <clears throat> well, here, the last word in verse 7. Nothing is hidden from its heat. <clears throat> the heat of the sun governs all, all kinds of factors, props in particular, the weather, all of these things. But think in terms of an, an agricultural society, right? They know that the sun is necessary for the maintenance of our life. So that's why the sun would be chosen as a representative of the heavenly host to bring this whole heavenly stuff down to earth, okay, and to have the sun is here now expressing the sun's power, all right? I think that's why it's there, okay? All right, now it is 839, oh, we're doing okay. I don't know if we'll finish this, but we shall go on. All right? Now we are totally, we're moving to a completely different realm. The heavens are behind us. We we have transitioned through the sound we can't hear down here on earth and through the sun whose warmth is necessary for us. So the heaven, there is now a bridge that has been built between heaven and earth. So now we're going to move from the heavenly perspective to the earthly perspective. And just as the sun would be the most important of the heavenly host in terms of touching our lives, we now move to something else that was, you know, I I don't know that the Bible does it. The rabbis, of course, talked about Torah Ora, right? The sun is light, right? And so that that notion may already have i I can't think of it right now. I didn't check on this one. It just hit me that the light of Torah right became an important metaphor for us.
3: We're moving from physical light to spiritual light
0: right, yes, exactly, but it doesn't the word "light" is not mentioned here. that's the only problem <laughs> so but i'm trying to I'm wondering maybe if in the back of the minds of the poet though he has that, but I don't know. I'm, I, it's got, I don't want to push it too far. All right. So now we're going to this realm, and now we're now no longer talking, as I said earlier, about a universe, the universality of God, but we're talking about the unique relationship between God and Israel. Even though the word Israel is not mentioned— But it's clear from some of the allusions, some of the references that are found here, and I will illuminate that for you. Okay, so when you speak of Torah Adonai Tamim, right? Tamim, the, the the Torah of Adonai is Tamim. Tamim can mean perfect, complete, flawless, nothing wrong with it. Okay. So, I mean, think of Noah, right? Ishtamim. Was he a perfect human being? No. But he was a, he was solid. He was good. All right. I I see Tybal and and Rick raised your hands. Let me just finish with this and then we'll, I'll pick you up. All right. Um, so it, 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 the translations use the word perfect and it could mean that it's whole. It's complete, right? It has no flaws. It has, it's pure, okay? And all these new nuances with it. So that's it. Torah is perfect. But it has a power to do certain things. And what does it say here? Meshivat nefesh. It revives the soul. Wow. But I think of Torah, you know, what do you think of? Torah? mitzvot right teachings but here it's getting very spiritual now right begins with this spiritual sense revives the soul it's not talking about resurrection right it means it's restoring the soul maybe it takes the soul that may have moved off of where it should be or maybe it has developed a hardening of itself to use some of the prophetic concepts, right? The, the hardening of the, uh, of the heart. Okay. That, that I call that biblical, atherosclerosis, but, um, okay. So that I, it, but it's really, it's so creative. It, now we who study Torah, I mean, the, the way when when I was working on this, it restored my soul in the sense I got so totally involved here that a lot of junk that goes on around us that bothers us all the time, and I won't go into those details. They left me. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I got so engaged with this stuff. I got excited. But you can see how excited I am by all this stuff. I was totally into this. And, you know, so I when I think it's, oh, wow, this is great. So my soul was revived. I mean, because the concepts and the presentation just grabbed me. And, you know, so someone who loves Torah, that's what it does. So maybe that's what he's talking about. Or it means if your soul has drifted in the wrong direction, it revives it in the sense it wakes it up wakes it up and makes it alive in terms of where it should be heading it shifts you back over from your drifting okay if you headed toward the dark side it's going to push you back to the light all right so let's do
2: Tybalt Rick and Leon so two questions other than to comment i loved your use of illuminating after you talked about the sun um, I thought, and again, I don't, I don't have a lot of Hebrew, that the drosh that's always given on the word shalom is that it's peace, it's completion and whatever. And that's how you just defined the one tamima. That's one. And then the little one is, cause we've already seen ver, a word, sorry, not verbs, verbs that look as if they're feminine taking masculine plural. Does Tamimah go to Tamimos or Tamimim? Oh, Tamama, no, Tamama,
0: Tamimah is the feminine version of Tamim, which means whole or what you know, complete. What all those adjectives?
2: But is that singular Tamim? It sounds like it's oh, a no,
0: Torah. No, no, Torah. The Torah of God um. is. It, it defines. It's associated, it's, it's an adjective that's defining Torah, which is feminine. That's the connection. It's, it's grammatical. Okay. And Mishivat is also a very unusual. We don't use that. We would just say Meshivat, but in biblical, this is a biblical version of that where the taf is there instead. Um, and, uh, so me, but, but that also is a feminine word because it's
2: referring to uh, Torah, okay? All right, so. And the Shalom comparison, you know how that's something that little children are taught in religious school all the time, that the word is, hello, goodbye, peace be with you, but it's also about completion, that peace will be. That's a different word altogether. No, no, but I know it's a different word, so I'm asking because I thought that was the word for perfect. No,
0: no, 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 no. Shlema means complete. Tamim, it, tamim would be. I think tamim carries it to an even higher level of of perfection. If you will. no, shalem is important. Yeah, there are. There's a there's a there's a commentary. Torah shleima, okay, is a is a, It's a it's a Torah with with uh, commentaries. It's used the complete Torah. Okay, so it completed by virtue by virtue of the interpretations that are in it. So yeah, it's used, but Tmima here really carries it. Torah Shleimah means it's filled with. Uh, it's it's it is it's a little overstated because it's never Shalem, right? No no person no people can totally you know capture all the nuances. But it means they, they tried. So it's, it's a very rich, in their eyes, a very rich interpretation. But Tamim moves in the direction of perfection. Shalem is not necessarily perfect, okay, in, gra- in terms of a, a gradation, I would say. All right. Rick and then Leon.
1: I Just real quick, um, when you mention the sun, uh, when we get up to verse 9,
3: uh, Enlightening
1: well, the eyes, yeah. so Meir, ear um you see the light of people's eyes and stuff like that, so um the sun could be there if you want to be poetic,
0: yeah, maybe i that thought crossed my mind actually. My only <laughs> problem with it is it's it's sort of removed and it's a- fem, you know it's referring to the meats. Right? But it's they a,
1: could have described it anyway. They didn't have to say "lightening the eyes." They could have said "pleasing." They could have said anything.
0: Yeah, but, but again, um, it, may, it may be this. They had this notion. Well, I thought you were going to say "is Torah aura." Oh, that notion.
1: Well, here, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little mean, bit it, there. You know, it, it could be a a. In other words, a, a, a an association with the sun's light. It
6: could be. Yeah, I understand that. Possible. All right, Leon. Another Rashi comment. He agrees with you. He says, Uh Oh, "Oh, Lord is perfect. That too illuminates like the sun, as it is written, enlightening the eyes. And Uh scripture states, For a commandment is a candle, and the Torah is light.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So I think Rashi, Rick, and I, and you, I think we're all uh-huh. sort of on the same <clears end>. Maybe <throat> others will join us. I don't know. No I thought, yeah, honestly, I was going to make a big deal about it, but I realized it's sort of a little removed, uh so I didn't. But thank you for raising it, everybody. This is good. This is why we're together. Okay. So it revives the soul. But then, next line. Oh, it's not. Sorry. That's 8A. This is now, I'm going to do 8B because you see these pairs are set up this way. All right. And, and, and again, look at the layout. You see, look at it. Look at, look at look your screen. Look at the layout. All right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's, that's, that's really shows you the structure of this thing. Does this remind you of something that you've seen within the last decade? Something
2: relatively large. DNA codes being written? What? DNA? I <laughs> uh, don't think so. <laughs> nice. No.
0: <laughs> but I get it. Yeah.
1: Where? Torah. is written next to arcs a lot of the time in sanctuaries.
0: Yes. But how about this whole layout? Not sure. Come
2: on, guys, you members of Betham, you...
1: It's on the wall somewhere at Bethel?
0: Huh?
2: No. <laughs> How long ago did Bethel redo its sanctuary? Was that 10 years? No. The new sanctuary oh.
0: was built a few years ago. All right, never mind. I'm thinking of the old sanctuary. Yeah. The art.
1: It
0: had Torah, uh it had Torah, Torah, No, It had, had, had all, all of it. it. Uh, okay. I think only those four. Yes, it was there. It stared us in the face week after week after week, and you hey. got to notice it. Oh my God! I'm so disappointed. I'm not going to be able to sleep. <laughs> I was so glad when they got that out of there. Never mind, I didn't say that. Actually it was a nice (laughs) thing in the whole sanctuary, but okay. Mm. All right. Okay, uh Barbara. Yeah, I
7: I just think about something with this that we're doing tonight. And that when nowadays we think we're so advanced in what we do. I mean, we have a lot of stuff that they didn't have in those days, but it's amazing. How really brilliant these people were that wrote these Psalms and stuff like, and wrote a lot of, and Rashi and stuff like that. They had none of the modern day things that we have, but somehow I feel like we tend to rely on this old stuff more when it comes to faith and to making us feel better than we do even about some of today's modern times. It's just amazing to me to think about Yes. How much? How, how much they understood, right? About all of this, about life. I agree. About Torah.
0: I, I, I'm. I'm just thinking about it tonight, just this, yes. with this poem. Yes, exactly. I agree with you. That's the amazing thing. Uh, by the way, I will tell you something. The Christians appreciated this stuff from the Jewish perspective. When not all the time, not all the time, but there were periods in time. Uh, During the late antiquity, during the Middle Ages, where Christians sought out the Bible scholars of the the Jews to help them understand the the meaning of the Torah, of the Bible, not just Torah, different things, okay? And there are schools that are literally, (laughs) excuse me, I mentioned to you earlier about the Christians and their printing presses. Okay. Yes, I know, I'm sure they didn't print a lot of books in Hebrew, but there were there were there were churchmen who studied Hebrew during the middle ages in the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th throughout this time, monks, you know, particularly in in the, some of the monasteries. And there were books that were printed for them with the Hebrew There are manuscripts that exist today. For example, there's a a book of Psalms that comes from the 12th century from England. It's written by Christians. It's Hebrew with interlinear Latin. And the handwriting is not Jewish handwriting. You can read the words, but the style is Christian. They developed their own style for writing Hebrew. And it's not it's not the cursive. It's the block forms. The you know the Merubah form. The the, the square form. The, the the one you have in the door Okay. They had their own books. So and the reason they did that was they believed that the Jews understood the plain meaning of the text better than anybody else. And they were right. Now they thought that we were totally incapable of the deeper meaning. Spiritual meaning, because that of course comes from the teachings of Paul and Jesus, okay, which of course we didn't accept, and the church fathers, etc etc but in terms of the foundation, they came to us uh, there there are te- There are manuscripts of Christian scholars in the twelfth century referring to Rabbi Samuel, and this was in France, okay who's Rabbi Samuel, the Rosh- Is that- the Rash Bam, Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson, who took the Torah that Rashi taught and expanded it, the whole notion of reading things in context, with grammar, in other words, understanding it, we would say today, silently, critically. Okay? So, I mean, they studied with this man. They wanted to learn it. So, anyway, yes. All right. So, now, verse 8b. Oh, I forgot one thing. Poetry. Written, the written word. Look at verses 8a and b, 9a and b, the second statement. Right? You have three words, two words. Three words, two words. Yes? The two words, what do the last, what do those four two words of those verses, I'm sorry, those four second part letters, what do they have in common? They're all mem. You see it? Meshivat nefesh, machkima peti, mesamech, mesamchei lev, me'irateinayim. Mem, 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 mem. It doesn't happen automatically. The guy was doing some poetry here. He was, he was, he said, "I want to have, I just, I'm using these verbs in this structure because I like it that way." Okay, so there you are. All right, all right, we got to stop now. It's nine o'clock. So we're go- we're not going to finish this tonight. I threatened you beforehand. I keep my threats. All right.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So we'll do. You this. can do some
1: more next time if you like.
0: We're gonna we're gonna finish this stuff. Next time, the next verse we're gonna the next psalm we're gonna. If you want to look at, it, is 29. We're gonna go from okay. 9 to 29. You will rip. You will resonate with Psalm 29. Oof. You know it. You know it probably by heart. All
2: right, Taibl. Last point. Always Rabbi, read. just your framing, you started out talking about the change in the word for God versus eight, nine, ten. I don't know. And didn't you just say the mem, all the repetitions of the mem are eight, nine, ten? Eight and nine. Oh, the oh second. Are there any?
0: yeah, there's almost eight It has two double
2: lines, and nine has He's two wrapping up double lines. Oh, there's a member two in ten, but yeah, but that's different. this is but this is
0: one right after another. All I'm saying is that that is not random, it's intentional, and for some reason he decided to do it this way. It's the same rhythm d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d okay, so he's creating rhythm, and there's a lot of that here, all right, all right. So next time we're going to start with Eidut Aronain Ne'emana. I'll probably bounce back to Torah again. We'll do that. And then we will do the last part, which is a completely different thing altogether, but it nicely complements everything that comes before it. All right. And it's, it's again, the brilliance is outstanding. And if we finish this, which we might, um, We'll then go to Psalm 29. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.